Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm a man. I'm a Muppet. And this is a hard, cynical podcast for a hard, cynical world. (laughs) What are we going to talk about today, Mark? Today we are talking about The Muppets, an American musical comedy film starring Jim Henson's Muppets. Written by Jason Siegel and Nicholas Stoller, directed by James Bobbin in his directorial debut and produced by Walt Disney Pictures, The Muppets premiered on November 4th, 2011 at the Savannah Film Festival and stars Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Jason Siegel, Amy Adams, and the great Gonzo, among others. What is our fan review for the week? Oh, buddy. Our fan review this week. It's from Google Fan Reviews, as they often are, and comes from user Jesus Alarcon? Alarcon? Jesus Alarcon, or Jesus Alarcon, for all I know, who says, five stars, best movie since The Lion King. (laughs) I mean, it's a very good movie, and we're going to get into it, but there's been a lot of movies (laughs) between those two movies. (laughs) I really want to know what the rest of this person's best movie list is. I just, I want to know. I have a morbid curiosity as well. (laughs) This, The Lion King, and We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, for all I know. (laughs) It's incredible. All right, man, let's get into it. We've got, man, I have been eager for every one of these movies to discuss it, but we've got a real doozy to talk about today. A real doozer. (laughs) This movie, which you know because we are friends and which listeners of yours may know if they follow along with... Uh, your other podcast, because I appeared on there to talk about the Muppets, Mindful Self-Indulgence, this movie means a lot to me personally. For just a whole host of reasons, this movie sits in a very specific place for me. And so it's a little bit more of a challenge to unpack it than it is most of the other Muppet films. Yes, it's a very touching story about birthdays and... Yeah, it, it just, the very short version is, uh, the Muppets obviously were a big deal to me for my whole life. They're very significant to me. My daughter shares a birthday with Jim Henson and Steve Whitmire, you know, the Kermits, until very recently. And this movie came out very shortly after my daughter was born. I went to see it on my own. Uh, I was the only one in the theater, and I just, we'll talk about it throughout the film when it comes along. I just bawled. I bawled through this movie. This movie wrecked, because I was, you know, at that point in time, I hadn't slept for a month. <laughs> we had my, my we had our first kid i was very emotionally vulnerable like I, <laughs> this movie was a real punch in the gut to me uh in a good way uh but because of sort of all of those things rolled up together i have more trouble separating this movie out i think than i do the rest of them this is a bit of a tangent but i promise it has a through line here uh of being mm-hmm. like overly emotional in the if there is such a thing as overly emotional um in in middle of a theater <laughs> is that like i remember whenever i went to go see the simpsons movie for the first time in theaters oh okay and like we've hashed and rehashed the fact that both of us grew up evangelical uh yep. me specifically And so, like, I had to sneak watch The (laughs) Simpsons, but, like, I still very much Ah. had watched The Simpsons most of my life. (laughs) Uh, It was one of those things where you're, like, have you ever been young and you're watching a naughty movie on, like, cable and your parents are home and so you have to sit there with the remote in your hand? That's how I watch The Simpsons. Yep, it's it's that. Yeah. Children, before you could watch movies on your phones and on Netflix and start and stop them very easily, you were just channel surfing and you had to hope to whatever God you believed in 
that the the channel up or down one from the one you were on was showing something acceptable to your parents and you wouldn't have to justify that one when you quickly flip the channel. Yes. I got real good at like doing the recall button on mine. Oh, so like nice. I would yeah, always okay. set it to something acceptable and then manually punch in the number to the to nice. our local Fox affiliate to watch the Simpsons. And so all I had to do was hit that. But turns out when you're just real strict with your kids, they just get sneaky, y'all. So like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the point of all this is the Simpson movie came out and I cried during that movie for the first time ever in my uh-huh. life at a movie in theaters when Homer and Marge uh-huh. are like splitting up and you're like, you know, it's going to, uh, okay. yep. you know, it's going to be fine, but they still fucking sell sure. that scene with the videotape. <laughs> um, all this to say I too was a grown man uh, who sat in a theater <laughs> watching something from my childhood that was beloved and cried like a baby. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, We'll, get, we'll just get right into it. This movie opens figuratively and literally on small town America. It's uh, two brothers, Gary and Walter, who live in small town, the name of their town. And it's very intentionally sort of shot and shaped to evoke what maybe like the happy days version of the 1950s. Yeah, it feels very Truman Show to me, Mark. It does. And I wonder if that is not intentional, too. Uh, like the candy gloss that is on this small town feels like it is supposed to be there very intentionally to frame the idea that the way Walter specifically views the world is not the way the world is. And so I think I think a lot of what small town is, is what Walter sees when he looks at his town and maybe not what that town actually is. I think it's very much supposed to be this candy coated safe space before their call to adventure. Right. <laughs> and so Walter is a Muppet. Gary is a human and they are twin brothers. We get this little kind of montage showing them growing up together and playing baseball and going to birthday parties and things like that. They are best friends. I find their best friendship endearing throughout this movie. <laughs> it's very good that they care and love about each other. So we don't ever see their parents at all. Uh, we see their hands and that is it. Okay. We, and they're like, are they both human hands? They both just yeah, they are. Their hands are off screen when they're measuring them against the. Oh yeah. The dwarf. Okay, yeah, you're right. Interesting. (laughs) So my crackpot theory about how these are secretly Janice's children just goes right out the window. Ooh. (laughs) I mean, they could be adopted. Maybe. I mean, Walter and Janice have some similarities. Is all I'm saying. They sure do. It is, this is interesting for me because I'm not particularly a Jason Siegel fan outside of the contents of this very film. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not a Jason Siegel hater either. I just like, I have not really engaged with his body of work. I know he was on that Fox sitcom with Neil Patrick Harris, right? Uh, I believe that was on CBS, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, CBS. I That's it. it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe it was CBS. Okay. <laughs> But I, I just like I never watched that show and I, I don't know him beyond this film, but he helped write this film. So I'm very grateful to him. <laughs> We're going to get into it as we get into this film. But like I have this tension about Jason Siegel's involvement in this film, not because like he's I feel like I set that up weird. To my knowledge, he hasn't done something horrible like most men. Sure. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's not that it's just like. How much of this involvement was him? How much sure. do I feel like he should have been given the reins to the Muppets after this? What parts of it that I don't like were him? Like, it's hard for me to try and navigate. Yep. Exactly what do I blame on Jason Siegel or congratulate him for? 
Right. The the team of Jason Siegel, Nick Stoller, and James uh, Bobbin, like that trio very much created this film. Uh, and then I think Stoller and Bobbins went on to do Muppets Most Wanted and Siegel was not involved. And I actually have some thoughts on that because there's when we get to Muppets Most Wanted, there's some tonal similarities uh, and, and some shifts. And I do wonder to what degree right. Siegel is the sort of wild card in that scenario. Have you ever seen, oh shit, what's that movie? What's the one that that Siegel is in? Uh, oh, oh, oh uh, Forgetting Sarah something. Yeah, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Okay. Mark, it's very much like uh, like a somewhat raunchy grown-up comedy, but okay, I feel okay. like you specifically need to see it just for, like, I can't spoil the thing, but, like, I feel like you need to see it just because of <laughs> who Jason Segel plays in that, and I feel Interesting. like- Interesting, okay. And that was all I, I know, like, by... the Creature Shop was involved in that film. I remember that being a thing. Yes, and that's very much a thing that, like, he had, like, actually, like, pushed for. And uh, okay, for okay. all of these reasons, you need to see that movie just to get an understanding of how I think we got from point A to point B of him working with the Muppets. <laughs> it is very, like you, I don't know where his involvement with this film begins and ends, but... When this movie was announced, it was very much a Nick Stoller and Jason Siegel thing, and we were given to understand that the franchise was kind of in their hands. And with some notable exceptions that we'll talk about, this movie really nailed it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so in my head, I think of those two guys as like good caretakers for the Muppet franchise. In the next movie, I liked a lot of what goes on in the next movie. I've got some big complaints, but I feel like the humor was still in the right vein. So like... I wish James Bobbin Nick Stoller would have continued to set the tone for the Muppets and not I presume this is because they went on to other professional things. I don't I don't know. But these two films feel closer to the heart of the Muppets to me than what the Muppets have been since then. A hundred percent. Um and like especially Jason Siegel's involvement being the only difference between this movie and Muppets Most Wanted. It feels mm-hmm. like so much of the heart came from Siegel. And that's just like... That may be the case, We yeah. can't, yeah, we can't definitively say that because we don't know. We're just two dumb asses with a podcast. But sure. <laughs> that being the main difference between the people behind these two movies, that it feels like you can, all, you can make that argument, at least. And Yeah, I think that is fair, yeah. Yeah, and on the subject of jokes, holy shit, to tie this back to The Simpsons, this has, like, Simpsons pacing for jokes, y'all. This movie... It's tight. It's, it is so good with the jokes because like they come at like a fucking Simpsons pace rapid fast. (laughs) Every like 15 seconds, there's a joke. And if the one before it didn't get you, the next one probably does. (laughs) The Muppets have a kind of a narrow band for their humor because they're boxed in a little bit by their need to be both uh, family friendly, but sort of like grown up approachable. And that's a, that's a hard hair to split and this movie for the most part gets it right and if, if we're gonna just give credit to multinational like billion dollar corporations disney does do that pretty well when they do that yes i don't feel good about praising anything a big billion dollar multinational corporation does <laughs> they do at least seem to on a like cynical bottom line we got to do this so it appeals to the most common denominator fan sure. uh they do do that 
most of the time pretty deftly. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like they've got it down to a science that they cooked up in a lab, uh-huh. which I would very much believe is what happened. <laughs> Those Marvel movies do the same thing, y'all. Yeah. All right, let, uh, we'll, we'll try to go back to getting into it. So we're in small town. Walter and Gary are bros, kind of figuratively and literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Walter talks about how being a weirdo in a small town, uh, and he doesn't, he he gloms to Gonzo specifically in a sort of Muppet vision a little later, but like he's just, he's different. He's literally made of felt, which is a, a fun line for this movie to sort of walk. <laughs> but he's, he very much has the sense that he doesn't belong in the same way that his brother does. And then they find like the Muppet show airing in reruns on like late night cable. And for Walter, it's looking outside of his tiny world and seeing something that gives him a sense of identity. And it's really endearing. And, and, you know, in, in, he doesn't realize it yet, but in seeing the Muppets, he has kind of found his people. He has found affirmation for who he is. And that's very cool. For sure. And that launches into Life's a Happy Song, which they kind of use to set up the relationship between Gary and Walter uh, to sort of set up this candy coated gloss of the small town and to introduce us to Mary, who is Gary's girlfriend. This is Amy Adams. The songs are very good in this movie, Mark. Um, So tight. Yeah. That is Brett McKenzie, who wrote all of these, I believe. Yeah, I am. It feels odd to say, but this might ha- be the movie with my favorite collection of songs. And sure. All of the songs <laughs> hit the notes that they're supposed to hit. And like, yes, I don't feel like there's a like a flunky amongst any of it. Like it, they're all good. They're all strong Absolutely. and they all land the way they're supposed to, which is not the case for many other Muppet songs, unfortunately. <laughs> My only minor quibble, and this isn't to say any of them are bad, they're all very good, but at a certain point it reads as unusual to me. I don't think it was a bad choice, I think it was the right choice, but unusual to me that with the exception of pictures in my head, (laughs) most of the big beat songs are human songs, or at least uh, human duet songs, right? So Life's a Happy Song is heavily features Jason Siegel. Let's Talk About Me is all Chris Cooper. And Me Party or Party of One is a very Amy Adams song with kind of Piggy accompanying. It's just it at a certain point you realize like, oh, the humans are doing a lot. And that's not bad. They're all great. They all they all do what they're doing very well. Uh, It was just surprising when it clicked in my head. And like, I'm not the uh, the Broadway fan amongst the two of us. But like, (laughs) it feels like because the Muppet show was like such a show that like this sort of like theatrical, like big scale, like production, like sort of numbers, like it fits. At least in my mind, it fits so well and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel weird, even though I don't think they've ever done anything quite like this. Like the whole the opening number you get is is the great Muppet caper, which mm-hmm. has these kind of big vaudevillian. Sure. Uh, the opening to Muppet caper and then the weird Miss Piggy uh, synchronized swimming bit like it has these kind of big set piece numbers. But I'm with you. This one feels much more kind of stage production in a way, in a very good way. Except for the Tex Richmond song, which I think is pretty bleh. But otherwise, <laughs> you reminded me that that one existed while you were talking about it. But otherwise, like, <laughs> these are some real good songs. The Tex Richmond song, we'll talk about it when we get there. <laughs> to me, it is a very good 10-second joke that goes on for a solid minute. Yes. <laughs> and, it, and, like, Chris Cooper does great in this movie, but he doesn't have whatever he would need to hold that song together for a full minute. For sure. <laughs> All right. So we do this whole thing. We set this up. We meet 
Mary, who is Gary's girlfriend and who teaches like auto repair at a local grade school. The kids are very sad that they're going on spring break and it's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> so the the sort of premise here is that Gary and Mary are headed to Los Angeles to celebrate their 10th anniversary as a couple. Not like their 10th wedding anniversary or anything, just their, their 10th anniversary together. Sure. And they are bringing Walter along so that he can take a tour of Muppet Studios. <laughs> and we get the sense very early from a quick conversation between Walter and Gary that there may be a little tension here as to the purpose of this trip. Is this a, you know, a romantic vacation that Gary is just sharing a, or that Walter is just sharing a bus ride for? Uh, or is this trip maybe much more about two brothers going to visit the Muppets that Mary is sharing a bus ride for? Yeah, this is this is the part of the movie where there's a tension for me because Mary's needs are not considered at all basically throughout the entirety of this movie. Yes. And her entire arc with ends with, well, maybe I shouldn't be so selfish. And like, right. <laughs> what? No, girl. Like you are you are you fucking really? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a little disappointing. And it's. Yeah. It's nice because it does seem like the arc of the movie up until that final scene is like Gary's arc is much more about learning what he's been doing wrong in the way he's been treating Mary. And you think like, oh, OK, look, we we sold this point. We got it. Uh, but then it kind of doubles back because it wants to have its cake and eat it, too. And it is not as effective. I think they could have just stuck the landing. We'll get there when we get there. But they could have yeah, stuck yeah. it better, way better than they did and made it really feel like. I don't know. Mary has some agency in this movie somewhere because <laughs> otherwise she's just the girlfriend that comes along for the protagonist for this entire film. Sure. Yep. Uh, okay. So they get to LA, they tour him up at studios, which is exceedingly run down. It's being attended by uh, Alan Arkin, the tour guide. Mm -hmm. Very good. And yeah, he's great. And just everything, like everything is closed because it's all run down. It's broken down. It's in disrepair. Is this Universal Studios? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> His dry delivery on that joke is so perfect. It's very good. <laughs> and already here, we're seeing the tension in Mary that, like, oh, her boyfriend is maybe concentrating too much energy uh, on Walter and not enough on her. And I want to be careful in how I phrase that because I do not want it to sound like we're setting up that like she is a jealous girlfriend. It is the very opposite of yes. that. It's that men are so bad that even the baseline is being treated <laughs> like the absolute minimum a man should be doing in a relationship with another sure. human being is not being met here. There is a reason, I think, that there are a myriad of films and books about long-suffering women whose partners uh, are not connecting to them emotionally and giving them what they need. I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so this tour is obviously kind of a bust, but Walter doesn't care. He sneaks into Kermit's office because he's going to see Kermit's office. Mm -hmm. And even though it's all, like, cobwebbed and broken down, for Walter, it is kind of a Shangri-La, right? It's a, it is almost a holy place. Mm -hmm. And he overhears a meeting here between... Tex Richman, which is a wonderful Muppet villain name. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Statler and Waldorf, who are brokering the sale of the Muppet Theater with the understanding that Tex Richman is trying to create like a Muppet museum sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then Statler and Waldorf leave and 
protects Richmond very villain style, explains his plan to his henchmen that he's, you know, he's buying the theater for the oil money, which is a very like high hatted, broad scopey, very kind of just like cartoonish villain move, right? I'm buying it for the oil, right? I do like that. I can smell it, but also the geological survey says 100% it's here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good... Uh, it is such a Muppety premise, in fact. This premise is straight lifted from uh, It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie, which is a made-for-TV Muppet movie about the Muppets having to come together to save the theater because... Uh, they had to raise enough money to buy it back because some evil person was trying to buy it for the oil rights. Wow, nice. It's fine. <laughs> nobody saw that part. It's fine. No, nobody saw that. Uh, it That is very much of like the rest of the premise of that film, as the title might suggest, is very much of an It's a Wonderful Life gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the core premise is we have to save the Muppet Theater and buy it back so the evil oil baron doesn't get it. <laughs> there needs to be more evil oil barons just in media. <laughs> Not less, more. Um, we, also Bobo's here. I don't know if you mentioned that, but I did not yet. I mentioned it in the notes, but yeah, Bobo and Deadly are like Tex, Tex Ritzman's henchmen. It's yes. I love, I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> They're a very good henchman duo. I really dig it. They get very little to chew on in this movie, but I'm just happy yep. they're there. Honestly. <laughs> we also learned that Te- Tex Richmond, uh, Chris Cooper, can't laugh because instead of laughing he says the words you know whatever like maniacal Maniacal laugh he says whatever laugh he's trying to do yeah it is the dumbest joke but it's a very muppety joke yeah true on both fronts (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and as you say this movie just goes for it real hard in the joke compartment and it just throws everything it can think of against the wall oh yeah (laughs) so Walter is terrified, of course. He doesn't want to see the Muppet Theater torn down. He tells Gary and Mary together they find Kermit, set up with another real dumb gag about uh, like Star Tours maps and then buying hot dogs. Like it's a, yes. it's a very funny visual misdirect. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good joke. <laughs> and then they just find Kermit because he owns a giant mansion with his own face on the gate. Yep. Not subtle Which, at all feels uh and initially when i saw this the the first time i saw this movie uh when i didn't know what way the plot was going i reacted very badly to this because this mansion feels like the opposite of kermit to me yeah you find out later that miss piggy bought it so like yes yep. <laughs> and then it tracks and then you're like oh yep nope 100 percent. this is exactly what miss piggy would do <laughs> so kermit is now living the life of like a sad, lonely Hollywood weirdo just up in his mansion by himself with only a robot servant to attend to him. Yep, 80s robot. 80s 80s robot's so fun. I I can't, like, I honestly don't know if anything about 80s robot is funny or if I only like it because it is making 80s jokes and those are jokes that like, hey, I knew those jokes. That robot is pandering to me. Yeah, sometimes he's making 80s jokes. Like, you get the gag me with the spoon. Like, you get yeah, that. Yep. But then you also get the modem noise later on, and that's like mid-90s, yep. yo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kermit is here by himself, it turns out, because, like, the glory days of the Muppets have passed. The Muppets have all faded, uh, headed off to their own directions, a premise that we see in Muppets Take Manhattan. And we get this deeply poignant song where Kermit is 
examining where he is now. The song's called Pictures in My Head. Mm-hmm. And for my money, as much as it's a, a more slow, deliberate, like it's not a poppy, jumpy, happy Muppet song, this may be the best piece in this movie. I love this song very much. About, do you remember whenever I messaged you earlier and I was like, I'm 20 minutes into this movie and I'm tearing up? It was because of yep. the song. This is, uh, and I'm not surprised because this is the first crying moment for me when I saw it, uh, specifically when uh, Fozzie sings back to him from within the picture frame. Oh. I just, <laughs> that did me in. <laughs> I was framed. Uh... <laughs> it's so good. Waka-waka. And it, it, the thing I love about this movie is in 2011, the movie is posing a deeply self-aware question. Like the arc of this movie is Kermit saying and Walter saying, are the Muppets still relevant today? Do they have anything to say? Does anybody care about them? Like it's the question of the movie, but that is the, also the meta question that the actual, like the creation of this movie is beggaring the same question. This movie is asking, is there anything about the Muppets? Is there a point to them still existing? Uh, and, and, this song asking this question, like just at the end of the first act of the film, is perfectly timed. It's it's just it's a perfect beat in this movie. It's very good, and it's nice to see all these like characters singing back and forth with each other via picture frames that are on yeah the mansion walks of Kermit the Frog. The second, so the first like deeply emotional moment for me was Fozzie answering Kermit back. Mm-hmm. I also, like, I went from sniffling to full-blown tears when Dr. Teeth sang a line. Like, Dr. Teeth sings a full line in this song, (laughs) in his voice. And this is the first that we have heard Dr. Teeth since Jim died. Oh. And uh, to be fair, there was a, shortly before this, there was a Muppets Christmas album called A Green and Red Christmas in which Bill Beretta was kind of testing out his Dr. Teeth voice. So you hear him over there, but it has much more of an impact when you're, seeing Dr. Teeth and his voice is coming out of his face. Yeah. And it just, it was so, and he's good. I mean, he's a little gruffer. He's a little more Bill Beretta, but yeah. it's Dr. Teeth and it's good. And the Electric Mayhem are back in this film in a way that they haven't been on screen for a long time. Yeah, for sure. So all of that happens. And again, it's posing the metatextual question of this entire film. Is there a reason for the Muppets to exist? And Kermit says, Let's give it one more try, right? Let's get the gang back together. Let's let's take a road trip. And we get a very traditional Muppet scene, evocative of, very intentionally, the original Muppet movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, to some degree, Muppets take Manhattan as well, when we kind of see what the Muppets do when they go their separate ways. But we see Fozzie playing in a rundown bar. We see Gonzo doing plumbing. We, You know, it's it's very intentionally reminding people who knew the Muppets of that original movie. Yeah. Mark, can I tell you, I laugh every single time whenever I get to hear Fozzie say, why are there such great deals (laughs) on our hotel rooms? It gets me every time. This movie is very good at the, like it's a comedy trope, but it's a very Muppety trope of the misdirect setting Mm -hmm. up an expectation and then subverting it. And when you're in there, and the first time I saw this movie, and even though I know it's coming now, every time I revisit this movie, you hear that clunky synthesizer and you think like, ah, ha, ha, it's a joke that Fozzie's like, poor sad Fozzie is stuck like singing the Rainbow Connection for quarters. 
and then it hits you with nope there's a there's a second joke here it's even sadder (laughs) yep it it just takes it lower yet and it's it's so good it's so good while dave uh, girl is like playing animal in the background (laughs) and the the like the sad voices of the moopits just chiming in on the little like the echo parts so while we're here mate because we're going to collect fozzy first which is Mm -hmm critical and significant and of of the many choices that sequin stoller made in this film to me this is one of the most important mm-hmm. that kermit's first move and we know in part it's because he's nervous of approaching piggy but nonetheless kermit's first move is to fozzy and that feels right that is a critical yes. choice so while we're here while we're looking at fozzy should we talk about the moopets i think we should talk about the moopets <laughs> the moopets um are like you know, whenever you're like, Mom, can we stop for McDonald's? And your mom's like, we have McDonald's at home. Yes. <laughs> this is Muppets at home. It's like when you go to the, like, you see the knockoff toys at the Dollar Tree. This is, yep. it's that version of them. And so, like, on its face, like, that's a very good premise, Mark. Yes. But, like, it hit me very obviously this time that, like, they coded all of them to be minorities. Uh, <laughs> In one way or the other. And, like, specifically Miss Poogie is, like, I feel like it's just barely skirting transmisogyny. It's, like, it's just... Yeah. It's right on that edge, right? It's... Yep. It's a little uncomfortable. And then we also have every other member of the Muppets. It's just, like, what... We have to... What if we made the Muppets, but we pulled aside a suburban mom and said, what scared you the most about the world? <laughs> I absolutely had the same reaction, and specifically with the Fozzie Muppet, where it's like, oh... Oh, this is just a minority joke. Yeah. yeah, that's very much how it felt. <laughs> but the notion of like the, as you say, the dollar store brand Muppets is a good comedy notion. They probably could have delivered it better. And I would like to think here, even one decade later, we would have had better sensibilities for framing some of this. Yeah. But who knows? Comedy people I- often make bad decisions and then try to defend it with comedy. So I don't want to give them too much rope. Sure. There's a few decisions like that in this movie. Just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is very much of the, even being just a decade ago, or of the time that they came out, and that they have aged uh, a little bit differently than we would have liked necessarily. Yes, agreed. Yep. So we we see Fuzzy there. Kermit pitches him on getting back together. Kermit Kermit has this breakdown that was another emotional moment for me, and remains an emotional moment for me, where he just like. Kermit feels in his body and soul that he has failed Fozzie and he has this mini internal breakdown about it where he's trying to tell Fozzie like look if I just would have like I should have known I'm sorry if I would have known but it's my fault that I didn't know it's a good moment for uh, Steve Whitmire as Kermit I think this movie is a highlight of Steve Whitmire as Kermit because he took some of the manic energy out of Kermit and so Mm -hmm. When Kermit is downtrodden and just depressed yes. and already withdrawn, it plays real well into his strengths. It is very interesting to see Kermit wondering if he still has that gear. You know, he's he's looking at this whole situation saying, like, do I, Kermit, have the capacity to do this anymore? Yeah. As a dude who's getting older. Yeah, I feel that. Mm. Kermit, yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. You're just like, Jesus Christ, I don't know if I have the energy for this. <laughs> So they collect Fozzie, then they go to collect Gonzo, who is now the owner-operator of, like, the world's largest plumbing supply and delivery company. Like, Gonzo's just a plumbing magnate. This is probably the best time to 
talk about this part of it because this mm-hmm. is when I think about it every time we watch this. Is uh, I say that like we have sat and watched this movie sure. together before. <laughs> the uh, this idea of like the Muppet lore and mm-hmm. Gonzo having been like having a plumbing business in yeah, the first he movie. He was a Midwestern plumber or, or more of like a Southwestern plumber, I think, when we yeah. met him before. And so, like, this all fits into it. And I think across the board, the way the characters are characterized fit in with that movie as well. Yeah, they all feel very they don't feel off like they have sometimes in some of these other films that we've watched. Uh, When Piggy gets mean, I don't like Piggy, but I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a question of like me just not liking Piggy or if that's just the Piggy being portrayed (laughs) incorrectly. Who knows? Right. Um, when she doesn't have pathos and she's just all I hate mm-hmm. you. But like when like Hermit feels like Hermit here, Fozzie yep. feels like Fozzie here, Gonzo feels like Gonzo here. You can't say that necessarily for all of the 90s films. Yes. And this movie makes the, I would argue, very intentional choice to sort of ignore everything after the gym era of the Muppets. Uh, I think I would agree with you. And I think it goes so far as to say it ignores everything that's not the first few seasons of the Muppet show and that first movie because we don't see yeah. any of like Rizzo we don't see any of like it Rizzo is in the background we see like one scene of Pepe the Prawn like all yep. of those newer characters that were like the Whitmire characters before he got Kermit yeah and um, uh and, and Bobo we get a little bit of Bobo he's the yeah, other yeah, kind of, of nod Bobo. to a different era but we've 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 thank god we get Bobo but and I think it was intentional as sort of a like the point of this movie was to hark back to those. But also the plot of this movie very much feels like the Muppets did their thing in the 70s and then stopped doing their thing. So not only does it ignore like the characters that were created, it sort of ignores the idea that the Muppets had a run in the 90s, that they had a TV show for a couple of seasons and several successful movies. This movie picks up very much like Kermit's old 70s Rolodex are the last celebrities that he knows. Like uh, it makes a nod towards like him imagining Jimmy Carter as the president. I mean, like we get a little Molly Ringwald, but like other than that, like mm-hmm. even whenever Walter and um, Gary are watching the Muppets on TV, it's all the Muppet show. It's not. Yeah. Yep. It's nothing that came out after the year 1980. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very interesting. So so they meet Gonzo at his plumbing magnate business and he's saying like, no, nah, like, guys, I see what you're doing and, you know, I wish you well, but I got a business to run. I'm a businessman now. I'm doing serious business things because I'm a serious businessman. Of course. Significantly, Camilla is back. And I mentioned last episode that we haven't seen her in a while. Camilla is absent from uh, yes. from the Muppet movies for a bit. And she's back here in a way that reminds us that she and Gonzo are the most like romantically committed couple of the entire Muppets. Yeah, probably not that there's a lot of romance within the Muppets, but like that relationship is strong and stable and has lasted in a way that uh, Piggy and Kermit have struggled over many decades. I thought about, I know that we were talking about this before in one of our prior episodes about exactly this. And then I realized that Floyd and Janice have been a thing the entire time. That is, that is, at least arguably true, yes. <laughs> so that's it's 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 a little iffy there, but otherwise, at least on screen relationship stuff that we see, definitely Gonzo and Camilla have yep. the best yep. sort of representation of a healthy long form relationship. And it is Camilla who tells Gonzo, like, 
stop pretending to be something you're not. It's okay. Like go, go live your dreams, you know, go, go be the best version of you. Mm-hmm. Which is also subtitled because in the movie it's just sort of going, bark, 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 bark. but the subtitles like you don't have to pretend anymore. <laughs> and there's some. She doesn't address it herself, but there is an obvious degree to which Camilla is also a showman. Camilla likes the stage, and so some of this is for her too. Like, sure, they belong there together. And it's really fun. And then, of course, Gonzo just has a, a button made to blow up his entire business. And to be clear, when I say that there are subtitles for Camilla and the Swedish chef, I don't mean they pop up naturally in the movie, regardless of your <laughs> settings. I mean, you don't know what these characters are saying unless you turn on the the subtitles, which is a thing in and of itself. But the what fact that they joke, wrote those know? lines, they wrote those lines, Mark, and those characters have always said stuff that we don't understand. Yep, yep. So that's incredible. It is a real tribute uh, with a Swedish chef as well, but specifically to Camilla, because we always see Camilla and Gonzo having conversations. Mm-hmm. But in the seventies, at least, you never really know if that's a conversation or if Gonzo is just like making up what he thinks this chicken is saying to him. Sure. And it is a real tribute to the fact that like, no, they're like Gonzo clearly speaks chicken and they have full dialogue between them. Like Camilla yeah. is a fully realized character and that's pretty cool. We just can't understand any of our speaking lines unless we have (laughs) subtitles turned on for the specific movie. It's fine. Also, a very, very brief nod to Muppets from Space when Gonzo addresses the world as people People of Earth. Earth? Yeah, that stuck out to me as well. (laughs) So after those two, which are significant in many ways, Gonzo and Fozzy, the rest of the Muppets are connected a la, or collected rather, a la montage. Yes. There's some very good visual gags. Right. We get to see uh, animal in like emotional therapy. Yeah, I think he's in like anger management. Anger classes. management feels right. Yep. I think that's what's going on there. We just get to given see the context of, the, of Jack Black. Some of the rest. Just, yeah. <laughs> he's just so Jack Black is horny for punching. Is, yeah. Is what we get. It's such a goofy joke, but I would say Jack Black and Christian Shaw are two people who seem destined to be in a Muppet production. Both of those people seem like they belong mm-hmm. in this universe. A hundred percent. So that's cool. We see the Electric Mayhem just, you know, gigging a little bit. We see Sweetums back at Madman Moonies, which is real fun. Yep, that's very good. Uh, like, it's a one... shot for shot remake of that. Yes. Like, yeah, that it's very good. One of my favorite dumb gags in this entire movie is when Rolf says, hey, why didn't I get included in the montage? Yes, get, 100%. Like, it's the stupidest joke, but it lands so well for me every I time. I thought I had a pretty compelling backstory there. <laughs> hey, Rolf, you want to get back together again? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, Just sleeping in a hammock. So good. <laughs> and again, Rolf's back. Rolf has a voice again, and this is significant. Yeah. And he, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he feels like Rolf there. Yeah, he has more screen time than he has had for a long time. Yes. So, I'll take it. <laughs> and then they have to go get Piggy, who is now the editor of a Vogue, what's that called? Like a sub banner? Uh, sure. <laughs> she is the editor of like a title in the Vogue catalog. I uh, gotcha. Uh, like it's uh, a subsidiary of. Yeah, what whatever the right word is there. She is editing okay. a, she is editing something under the Vogue masthead. And. 
the office to me is very visually evocative of the Lady Holiday office. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, Peggy's overseas. She's working in this kind of high profile job. Uh, and she does not want to come back on board specifically because of the way things ended with Kermit. She just is not interested in, and as much as I don't necessarily love all of the choices made around Kermit and Peggy historically, like from forever, I don't always love the way they handle that relationship. I do appreciate seeing a Peggy that is not immediately desperate for Kermit. Like she kisses him when he shows up and then she says like, no, no, I have intentionally built a thing that isn't this. And I need to stick to that. That's kind of nice in a way. It is, Mark. This ties back into the problems with Mary is that like we throw that away for the man at the end. And it feels. (laughs) What's the takeaway supposed to be there for the audience? I guess you could like try and brush it under the rug because, you know, it's a Muppet movie. And sometimes they're just about being campy. But this movie very intentionally set out to be about something. And so. Yeah, yeah. You can't just, I don't, I feel like that excuse is especially, um, hollow here. (laughs) It is Kermit and Peggy's relationship has been toxic since day one. And I don't think anyone tries to hide from that. No, but this is, I think another good example of that. Like these two people, these two souls, Kermit and Peggy desperately love each other, but they have never been able to deliver on that love in a healthy manner. Yeah, they definitely love each other deeply, but are extremely incompatible. Yeah, it's very interesting. And a lot of like a lot of what makes their relationship go is circling around these various incompatibilities in the way in which like they just they don't work together. Piggy and Kermit and granted they're from a time where this was the norm. Very much feel like those kids that got together right out of high school and then. Yeah. Yeah. By 25, they realize they are very different people and yeah. just trying to <laughs> trying to make this marriage work so they don't lose half their shit. Like that's <laughs> that's what these characters feel like and have always felt like to me. And I do think the degree to which like so much of Piggy's early identity was tied up in trying to be what Kermit wanted. And obviously Piggy has always been a diva and like, you know, she was doing beauty pageants when we met her. But I think it's inarguable that Piggy loved Kermit and Kermit loved show business. And so Piggy became the biggest thing in show business. I, I think that's there's a very direct line there, intentional or not. You were not wrong. And, and that to me, I think to some degree is part of why it's significant that when Piggy built her own success, it was not in show business proper. I mean, she's writing for Vogue, so she's, you know, she is like in the industry sort of. But when Peggy made a life for herself, she didn't decide, I'm going to go anchor a late night television show. <laughs> Just to pull a random thing out of the hat. I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> completely at random. Uh, but she went and built a different life for herself when she wasn't defining herself through the lens of Kermit. And that's very interesting to me. And again, I don't know if mm-hmm. any of that is intentional, but that is how I see it. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So they do uh, Muppet Man to get themselves a meeting with Piggy, which is, you know, Five Muppets in a suit. <laughs> yep, we got Muppet Man. It's a very Muppety gag, and one of those ones where you, where you look at it you're like I don't, I don't know that this is working, but it's in some ways it may be funny because of how hard it's not working. Yeah, it it doesn't work at all. But like, what sells it for me is that they that Fozzie brings it up like it's a thing they've done before, <laughs> and everyone's just like, "Yeah, Muppet Man." <laughs> gonna do the thing that we've definitely done before and then they put it on screen and you're sitting there like this has never been a thing they've never (laughs) done muppet man yeah it's fun 
we're now going to follow a, a kind of a two-pronged story from for the back end. We're about at the halfway point here. And for the rest of the movie, we're going to follow on one end the rebuild of the Muppet Theater and Walter realizing his place with the Muppets. And on the other end, the continued deterioration of Gary and Mary's relationship because Gary has been ignoring his wife to focus on his brother. Of course. Uh, and listen, your family is among the most important relationships in, in your life. I get it. Like, it's good to be a good brother. I do not want to suggest that you shouldn't be a good brother. But Gary's just straight up ignoring Mary, you know, his partner for 10 years. <laughs> and that's real bad. I feel like every time I watch this movie, I get a different kind of feel for what's going on with that, like, trio of characters that are, like, our central characters in this film. And, like, some days I feel more, like, some days I'm vibing hard with Walter, and I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. Walter just wants to find his place in this world, and, yep. like, he's just trying to do whatever he can do, and, like, like he's inserting himself into other people's relationship, and, like, I've been that person. I've been, like, the third wheel for many, sure. many times in my life. And so sometimes I'm vibing with Walter. Sometimes I'm like, I get Gary and I'm like, Gary sees his little brother isn't like, yeah, really doesn't have anyone else but him. Uh, like, and so he's just, he's got to be there for him. And then like, he has to work to uncouple that responsibility from yep. the dependency that he's created for his yep. brother, always being there, like in his life. Uh, yeah, because there are moments where we Muppets. see, where we see Walter pulling away and Gary's still saying like, no, no, I need to go. Like he yeah. doesn't have anyone else, even after mm -hmm. he now does have other people. Yeah. But on a day wherever I'm not in my head about it and, and projecting myself onto the male characters, Mary's mm -hmm. 100% justified in everything that Mary oh, sure, is doing. Yeah. And those other two are just being super fucking selfish. <laughs> there is a framework for Mary that is there that doesn't get the support it needs to say between Gary and Mary, Mary's fine. She's got a life. She's got skills. She's got a job. Like, Mary is gonna be fine if she has to be on her own. I don't know that the same could be said of Gary. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, it, and it, which is often the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in, like, specifically cishet relationships. Yes, uh, yes. 100%. Um, it's almost like we should maybe as a society take a better look at how we condition people. Anyway, yeah. uh, the... <laughs> yeah how we balance the emotional burdens in cishet romantic mm, relationships uh -huh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah maybe maybe you shouldn't teach men to just push that shit down and only yep. depend on their wife for the emotional labor of like yep. helping you know yep 100 percent. but mary would be fine 100 percent. like she knows how to fix a like a 12 volt starter and teach a bunch of yep. like 12 year olds how to do it so like she knows how to rewire buildings yeah mary's fine Mary will do a hundred percent could do so much better than Gary. Let's be frank here. It's <laughs> probably true is that she should get out of there and be with somebody who's not going to take her for granted. So, so the Muppets start rebuilding the theater uh, mm -hmm. to a musical montage set to, we built this city. This is where we see Kermit unable to kind of find a celebrity friend from his seventies and early eighties uh, celebrity Rolodex. And they do manage to rebuild the theater like they get it back in working order, but the performances, everyone's rusty. You know, we haven't done this in a while. Uh, An animal is, has been like conditioned to not play the drums. Like that part of his therapy was sort of uh, like a comedic cartoon brainwashing almost. Yeah. Something to that effect where like he got it in his head that, that his problems were the drums 
that that's why he was angry right. because he was beating drums all the time. And I guess they just convinced him that that's what he needed to cut himself out from. And I can tell you right now as a drummer, um, Nope, it's the opposite. Uh, that's that's yes. <laughs> drums are an outlet. That's the thing that gives Animal his life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we we kind of glossed over this, but like we we mentioned uh, Christian Shaw and uh, Jack Black, but like there are so many good cameos in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Like they're rebuilding the theater because they went to somebody. Uh, like. They went to a TV exec. They went to every TV station and they all said no, except for the one that Rashida Jones works at. And she was like, okay, mom, it's fine. Punch teacher got canceled. Punch teacher. Right. We have a whole in our teacher literally being a TV show hosted by Ken Jung, where you just, where kids just (laughs) punch the shit out of their teachers. Punch a teacher. (laughs) And my favorite like run of that whole bit is where Donald Glover charges in. um, And he's like, (laughs) He's like, the Teachers Association of America shut us down. What's their deal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, he's just so shocked that they would not want yeah. to be punched. <laughs> it is a good power sequence of cameos through this movie, for yeah, sure. It's, it's very good. <laughs> okay, so this is where Peggy returns and says, and whether or not this is true or the justification she's given herself, who knows? But she returns and says, Kermit, I'm not back for you, but I am back for all of the rest of my friends who are very important to me. And I love that because we rarely see Piggy admitting how much the rest of the troop means to her. I feel like that's bullshit, honestly. I honestly (laughs) feel like she just wants to be on TV. That could be the case, too, that like Piggy yearns for the stage. And even though she's made a success of herself elsewhere, she still only feels alive when uh, when she's on the TV. I will give you the more charitable reading. Because I want to be nice to Miss Piggy. It plays to me that she very much just wants to be on TV. Because later on, she's like, I didn't fly all this way to not be on TV. Right. <laughs> it's like where she kind of tells the truth on Yeah, herself. this movie gives us all angles of Piggy, which is mm-hmm. very in keeping with Piggy's character. But as you and yeah. I have discussed, there are particulars of Piggy's character that we don't love. So we have to face those two. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know who the real Miss Piggy is. It's, yeah. it's hard to tell. She might be the most inconsistent portrayal across all Muppet media. I think that is true. And I'm sure some of it is like she is written and performed by a bunch of dudes. Yeah, that's fair. So so this is now framing Miss Piggy and Amy Adams, who has gone out like she wants to see Los Angeles. Gary is still helping with the Muppets. So she goes out to tour Los Angeles on her own and they have a physically separated duet Yes. On Party of One, which is a song that I don't know that I would have loved had Miss Piggy carried, but the Miss Piggy Amy Adams duet really works surprisingly well. Yeah. I love Amy Adams singing in this movie because anytime yeah. we get her, she just overdoes it to a comedic effect that is just chef kiss. Early, like, one of my favorite bits in this movie is very early on when she's like, like wistfully staring out the window and singing about how she just wants Gary to like propose to her. Yes. And and it's the gardener like hosing like water across the window as she sings wistfully. Yeah. It gets gets me every time because then like it 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 zooms out and he's just doing that. And like the look on that guy's face is just like, these people are weird. (laughs) (laughs) So Mary is kind of in this moment where she is, trying to confront the fact that she's not getting what she needs uh, from Gary. 
Piggy is reflecting on what her relationship to the stage is without Kermit. And then Kermit says, hey, guys, this isn't coming together. Like, things feel disorganized. I'm worried about the telethon. Let's just go talk to this Tex Richmond fella and see if we can reason with him to give us the theater. So they go to they go to talk to Tex Richmond. Kermit tries to reason with him. Of course, it's not going to work. This entire scene probably doesn't need to exist in this movie. The only the only bit of plot here is that Tex has no longer decided I only need oil. He's now saying, well, I'm going to get oil from the studio. But also, like the contract involves like all of the like the intellectual property rights to the Muppets. So maybe I'll try to leverage and bastardize those to make some coin. He's going to do a great Rubik. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there is a little bit and whether the writers intended this or not. There is a little bit of a Disney framing to this when the very rich man says, I own this intellectual property now and I am going to (laughs) whore it out until there's no pennies left. What's that? I'm inheriting copyright. I better never let it expire. So I own this property in perpetuity, even though it should expire 50 years ago. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. And I don't know how deep that was intended. And I don't know if Disney ever saw that in there. But to me, it's a it's a very surface read. Mm-hmm. when the Muppets are doing their first big thing under Disney to have that kind of question barbed in there is interesting. Especially like concerning the Muppets. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> so we set that up, I guess. He is not going to give them back the theater, obviously. Uh, so now they have to find a celebrity guest so that they can at least take a shot at this telethon that they're staging. Uh, and Miss Pink, because Kermit has, Kermit has reached one of his very occasional moments where he lets his doubt get the best of him and he's just ready to give up. And Piggy in this moment, and whether she's doing it because she has to be on the stage or doing it out of her love for Kermit or maybe a little of both, Piggy steps up and says, literally, the frog is gone. We're doing it my way now. Yes. And there is something to which Piggy and Kermit are a seesaw, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Part of their problem is they're never on the same level. When one of them rises, the other one is almost forced by the physics of their relationship to decline. But there is there is something to this that Piggy steps up and says, we're going to make it happen. And they just go kidnap Jack Black. Yep. <laughs> and we mentioned before that he's a great fit for the Muppets, but he's really a great fit for the Muppets. Yeah. If in a theoretical world where the Muppet show comes back, I want yes. Jack Black in season one. Yeah, absolutely. So his entire shtick throughout this is they tie him up and throw him on stage. And he's insisting like, hey, somebody please call the authorities. I'm here against my will. And the Muppets keep playing it for comedy. Like, haha, isn't this funny? This is definitely the joke that we're all in on. And it works. It works surprisingly well. And from here, we now just get effectively a mini episode of The Muppet Show embedded in this movie. And at this point, I, when I saw this movie, I lost it and did not stop crying for the rest of this movie. Uh, I was just, I was like, when the curtain rises on the Muppet show and all of those like B and C and D tear, like beautiful day monster is strolling around in the background. Like they're just all there. Uh, And it's so like, it's pitch perfect, right? Kermit does his hosting thing. Gonzo has his trumpet. The like everything about it is right. And to some degree, uh, Muppets Most Wanted, because it also frames around a like a touring company of the Muppet show. Those elements of the movie work so well. Why? Why didn't we capitalize on that? 
Why didn't we take the, the, the goodwill and success of these movies to say, yes, this format still works. We can do it this way. They had such a big opening after this movie specifically to just launch the Muppet show again on like ABC yeah. and just do it just like they did this, the end of this movie. You play with the tropes, like having Jack Black up there to like lambast Fozzie's bad jokes. You can lean into all of those like subversive elephants. When you had the chicken singing, fuck you, whenever you have like, <laughs> like a barbershop quartet of like a Nirvana song. Yeah. Like it's, it's lowest common denominator in that instance, but like, sure. Come on. Like it's right. They, they serve it to you on a silver platter as to what to do with yeah. these characters. And then they drop and the ball. Good, and it's funny. And yeah. And then we just, we went in a very different direction and it bums me out. But in this moment, in 2011, the curtain rises on The Muppet Show, and it is everything I always wanted. It's it's just, it's great. There's a moment where the power goes out, and Wayne and Wanda are just there making out. It's so good. <laughs> yep. Oh, Wayne and Wanda are just hanging out. <laughs> and Tex Richmond now, has, he calls it phase two. What that just means is I'm going to the building, and I'm going to start, like, cutting power lines and things. Yeah. And at a certain point, Deadly makes a face turn and tells Tex, like, at heart, I'm a Muppet. I've always been a Muppet. I'm a Muppet. And he chucks him off the roof. Yeah, that happens, like, right towards the very end. And it's very cool to see Deadly get that moment because, like, yes, he haunted the theater. So, like, yeah. that's awesome. I don't know how much time we want to spend on the individual acts because a lot of, like, the next 15 to 20 minutes are just, like you said, there's a barbershop quartet and there's the chickens. It's, it's just literal Muppet show acts. It's just the Muppets doing little three-minute bits. Yeah, like we're not breaking it down because it, it works on its own. We don't like, yeah, we don't have to really explain it much because all the bits are solid. And the chickens singing what I think is officially billed as Cluck You is a very good moment <laughs> because you also see Camilla in her element. Like, yeah, yeah, Camilla loves the stage too. Like, Thanks she is, she wanted this. Gonzo's doing like a very performatively goofy Gonzo thing with his bowling mm-hmm. ball. Like, it's just all good head bowling or something head where bowling, he's, yeah. yeah he's literally just gonna try and knock a bowling pin off the top of jack black's head <laughs> and it just all it all feels in the heart and spirit of the 70s muppets while sort of updated for mm-hmm. a you know a 2000s lens it lands it just it just lands this bit at the end where they have jack black kidnapped it reminds me of the keep fishing video okay yeah where they just have them all like tied up to chairs yeah, they have them tied up to chairs. I think specifically their drummer tied up. Yeah, yeah. With Animal replacing him. That <laughs> that video has lived in my head since it came out. Just It's very fun. It really is. Free. It lives in there. <laughs> and that was in that era where we were all just starved for any Muppet content? 100%. <laughs> is there anything else worth calling out here before we get to the big... Oh, it's worth mentioning that Kermit has invited Walter to participate, but Walter doesn't have an act. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's still trying to figure that all out. I don't know if we mentioned it already, but like Mary went home. Yeah. That was supposed to be after the me party thing. The next day was supposed to be their 10th anniversary. And Gary comes back to the like hotel that they're staying at. And she's like, so like, what do you have planned for tomorrow for dinner? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want? And <laughs> you see her, her like she just has this like disassociative moment where she's like, I yep. need to I need to get out of here because I, <laughs> I don't know how to handle what is happening right now. Not like mentally disassociating specifically, sure, no. but like uh, she wants to get the hell out of there is what I'm trying to say. So there are two big 
payoff moments in this movie. The first is Piggy and Kermit coming together to sing Rainbow Connection. Piggy approaches, or rather Kermit approaches Piggy to talk to her in her dressing room. And they have one of those moments, which they have throughout their 50-year relationship now, where there are moments where they look at each other and say, we love each other and that's enough. And and then later, the, the Muppets will question, is that enough? And it might not be. But mm-hmm. they have these moments where they, between the two of them, believe that their love is enough. Yeah. And this is kind of one of those where they look at each other and they say, we love each other. That should be sufficient. And they go sing together. For sure. Uh, speaking of singing together, I don't want to gloss over like the like award-winning Man or a Muppet that we haven't yeah. talked about. Oh, yeah, about. that's right. Yeah. Because Gary, when he realizes Mary is gone, finally makes the right decision. And he says, like, I have to prioritize the people that are most important to me. And he says that to Kermit later, yes. I think. And makes the right decision and goes back to his life partner. But they do have this Man or Muppet song that is the Muppets only Academy Award to date. D- did it win the Academy Award specifically? Yes. Nice. Not my favorite song in the in this show, but that's only because of how much I love pictures in my head. Man, like I, what is it about this song that works? I'm not sure. Other than the I fact that know. it's a, other than the fact that it's a Ben Fold song, I messaged you that as well. <laughs> I was like, that is accurate, Mark. Yeah. This is just a Ben Fold song. Um, I think like the Jason Siegel piece, it's nice because he's realizing like he needs to focus on his romantic relationship. But I think yeah. part of why it works is we see Walter realizing that he has found himself and found his people and he has figured out where he belongs in in a way that he's been searching for for some time. And I think that's part of what infuses this song. It works within the film because it's those two like character moments mm-hmm. coming together for one singular emotional payoff. Yep. And I get yep. that, but like it's still not the most heart-wrenching song in this movie. That's 100% no. pictures in my head, which makes me want to cry. If you were to tell me prior to 2011, or frankly even after 2011 and watching this movie, like hey, Jim Parsons is going to show up on a screen and you're going to have a good old laugh about it. I don't think I would have believed you. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And no shade on Jim Parsons, who is a man who has built himself an impressive career. And I've heard him interviewed. He is an introspective dude who has had like a real journey to figure out who he is and where he belongs. Uh, It turns out I really like Jim Parsons. I just don't like most of what he's done. Yeah, we just can't separate him from fucking Sheldon because. Right, right. <laughs> he shows up on screen and at first you're like, wait, is that Jim Parsons? And then right after what you're like, no, 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 that makes sense. No, that tracks, yeah. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. So Kermit and Piggy do their big number, and that like it's nice because it's Kermit and Piggy. Mm-hmm. But what ratcheted up the tears for me, like it's the it's Kermit singing the Rainbow Connection. I'm all right, like I've been crying for the last ten minutes. Right. I'm you know, Kermit singing this song is significant, but then all of the Muppets hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> and it breaks my heart. It, it's so good because they just like, they just, and it's, it's even like Sam and New Zealand. And, you know, it's not just like the big six or whatever, just all of the Muppets hold hands and yeah. then walk on stage together to be a family. And it's, ah, it's so good. It's, it's a, it's a perfect moment for me. And the audience is swaying back and forth. And this yeah. is in the same theater that the end of the first movie was where they sang the song all together. Honestly, the answer to the question of can the Muppets still be relevant might ultimately be no. And I don't think the movie's afraid of that being the answer. Mm-hmm. But the answer might be no, but they can still have something to say. And that's cool. Like, even if all they're doing is reminding you that it's okay to love, that's cool. It seems like the takeaway at the end of this feels like it's almost contradicting itself because we have this 
we're getting to we're getting to it but like after rainbow connection then like i think after that it ends with walter doing the whistle thing yeah that is uh the the whistling caruso is the name of that song and it is only notable insofar as it is performed by andrew bird Oh, in, in real life. I yeah, that's Andrew that. Bird doing that whistle. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, and it, like all of that feels forced. Like, well, we need Walter to have a gimmick whistling. Like, yeah. that's weird. Yeah. But man, Andrew Bird is like, I have loved that guy since the squirrel nut zipper. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's good. It's nice for Walter to get that moment of acknowledgement that he has something to contribute. I wish this movie... I don't know how to frame this in any reasonable way, uh, but there's a degree to which this movie accidentally tells Walter, you only belong here if you have something to contribute, and I don't love that, because everyone's, and I think I think the idea is they're all trying to be nice to him. They're all trying to say, you're one of us. You, you belong on stage like the rest of us do. That's a good message. You belong there with us. But because I keep trying to push him out there quickly, I feel like that unintentional communication is sort of like, you have to bring something to the table, pal. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable pressure. And sure. <laughs> even then what they land on is whistling. Like, I think the message right. they're trying to get across is like, we each intrinsically have value. Yes, absolutely. But it comes across as you all have value as long as you can contribute labor. Right, right. <laughs> which, which is the opposite of, which is the opposite <laughs> of that prior statement. <laughs> so Tex Richmond makes one last effort. He destroys the phone lines themselves. Mm -hmm. The Muppets fall just short of their goal uh, and everyone's depressed. And then they realize that someone had tacked an extra zero on and they had only raised like $100,000 and not $10 million. Yeah, Fozzie like bonks his head, I think, against it. And then it like shifts it to where there's a, a missing zero. He's like, actually, I feel better, y'all. It is, and I've, I've never heard anyone frame this, so I doubt it was intentional, but I wouldn't be shocked. It is an inverted callback to Kermit buying the car for 20 bucks because of the fly being like an inadvertent period. So the car didn't cost $2,000. It cost 20 bucks. This is like an inversion of that joke. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, but I know that this joke has existed somewhere else before. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a Simpsons bit. I just can't pull it. Okay. I wouldn't be shocked. I think there is some comedy connective tissue. Between yeah. Them. It's like, it's somewhere there. Okay, so the telethon fails. They didn't get all the money they needed. And Kermit has this moment with the family where he says, like, it's all right, guys. Like, the theater isn't what makes us us. Even, even the, like, the Muppets name isn't what makes us us. Like, what matters is that we're all here together and we'll just go do it again. And it's okay. And then they step outside and there's a whole bunch of fans there cheering for them. And it's this kind of validating moment for them as a performing troupe that they have people who care and who listen. And, and that's all very nice. Uh, Gary and Mary travel by map to get back here in time to fix the lights. Yep. Traveling by map is a gag that I first recall, like obviously traveling by map is a visual thing that's happened in yes. cinema since the dawn of cinema. But I first recall it being a joke in the emperor's new groove. Oh man. I haven't thought about that. I mean, all the memes associated with it, but I haven't thought about the film proper in a while. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's, and, and then there's like just uh they end on this sort of redux of, the opening song and we get to see like little flashes to a lot of the background Muppets. Marvin Suggs is here. The Muppaphone is here. Like there's a lot of nods to Muppet history in this closing act. Rolf gets to play the closing number on the piano. He does. It's very good. Nice to see that dog playing piano again. <laughs> 
And then there's a almost like a mid credits thing, like an early credits thing where Gonzo finally like gets the cannonball off of his arm and it like it knocks into Tex Richmond. He jars his head and now he knows how to laugh. And it's a real cheap out. It's one the Muppets themselves have used in the past uh, with Kermit, you know, hit him on the head to, to rearrange right. his personality. Chekhov's bowling ball went off. Right. And it felt to me like this was here not to undersell the movie, but to like I I genuinely thought when I saw it, like, oh, good. They're setting up a revival of some sort. Like we need the Muppet theater to exist because we're going to do something yeah. with it. Didn't happen, unfortunately. For sure. And it's weird to try and navigate because like you want the emotional payoff of like everybody got what they wanted in the end and mm-hmm. they won. Um, But then like, uh, I don't know that the all is lost moment took place early enough for that turnaround to have no. payoff. So, well, here's an honest question for you. Have the Muppets ever been good at endings? Um, like most of their movies end on these sort of uh, like ham fisted, everything's tossed together. Like, I guess everyone's just here and happy. You know, when they did do a good ending, the one that we're going to get to in a couple yep. episodes, the one that was written by a professional author. <laughs> yeah, that one. I mean, <laughs> the story at least was. Yeah. 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 Like this is a very Muppety ending in that like. Muppet movies tend to end with just chaos, like, yeah, throw everyone out there, have them sing a goofy song and like ham-fistedly tie up some loose ends. For what it is, like wrapping it around with the beginning song, it works. It bookends yeah, as well. I would say, and yeah. it's, it's great to see all of these characters singing together and having fun. It sure is. It, and the next movie is going to pick up on that and it's going to pick up very well. The energy of the next movie is going to continue it's a much more uneven movie, I think, and we'll get to that, but like, it's going to pick up from the end of this movie. We're going to step right into the next one, and it's fun. This is a, this is a solid ending. Just like immediately, it jumps into the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is the movie. Like, we get the like the ending where he gets bonked on the head and they get the theater back, and they do the phenomena. Yep, and that's that's nice. That's a nice little Muppet touch. Like, it, is it pandering? For yes. sure, but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it, this movie has earned itself some pandering. Sure. Man, Menomenon never went away. That's like the one thing of the Muppets that never went away. <laughs> so it it earned that. After after an hour and a half of heartfelt movie, it earned a Menomenon. Yes, absolutely. So this is where we come to the ranking portion. <laughs> and I struggle with this one. And I know it's my job to go first with the Muppet movies, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I struggle with this one <laughs> because it's a comedy in a lot of ways, right? It's very funny. In some ways, it's it's among the funnier of the Muppet movies, at least since the early ones. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, it's hitting on cylinders that we haven't managed to consistently hit on in some time. But it is a movie that, in some ways, much like Muppets from Space, is attempting to tell a more cohesive story than the Muppets traditionally did. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie that is... It's not asking any real deep questions, but it's examining things at a level to which the Muppets don't usually. Their their movies are usually more lighthearted and fun. And this is a movie that starts in a place of kind of desperation and lives there for most of the movie. <laughs> a lot of the other Muppet movies are about hope. And in some very real ways, this movie is about despair. Yeah, I would say like it has the tone still feels very different. But yes. it reminds me of whenever we are in, like, the despair portion of Muppets Take Manhattan. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that's a good call. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like that, but, like, the tone still feels very different. I actually think Muppet Take Manhattan feels more dour when it goes mm, for yeah. dour than this movie ever does, despite things being more dour, because this feels like the real Muppets. 
So how yes. they juggle that, I don't know, but they do. So that's a thing that I, I want to stress as I, as I make my rankings is in order for the Muppets to feel, to survive, in order for the Muppets to have something to say now, they cannot be a straight up recreation of 70s comedy. They can't. That's that's not going to work, but they have to have the soul that they did in the 70s. And how do you like, is it possible for the Muppets to exist with that soul and a modern voice? And I feel like this movie answers. Yes, you have to have the right people doing it. You do. And this movie has its problems, but this movie feels like a 2010s movie, but also like a Muppet movie in a way that I don't know that I thought was possible. Yes. And like for my money, the problems that this movie has is not with the Muppets at all. Like, none of yeah, the stuff absolutely. with the Muppets, it's the human characters that I have problems with, like, in this movie. The yeah. Muppets all feel more like they have felt like the Muppets maybe since that first movie. Yeah, yeah. And, well, so it's interesting that you would say that. I mentioned at the top that I have trouble removing this movie from the emotional response I had to it the first time. And I'm going to own that. I'm going to own that going into my rankings. I saw this movie at a very personally vulnerable time and it set its hooks in my heart. I know that. So I don't know that I can fairly separate that space to approach this movie in any sort of meaningfully honest way. But if I'm trying to make myself be honest about which Muppet movies do I like the most? So these rankings are, we're never saying this is the best one. It's which Muppet movies do I like the most starting at the top. It's the Muppet movie. Number two is The Muppets. Incredible. And then number three is The Great Muppet Caper. Number four is Muppets from Space. Number five is Take Manhattan. Uh, number six is Treasure Island. And that, that takes a lot of real honesty from me to, to own up to that, specifically because The Great Muppet Caper is, I love that movie. I lo- And I've always, always said it's the second best Muppet movie behind the original Muppet movie. But if I'm being deeply honest with myself about which of these movies I like more, number two is the 2011 Muppets. That seems like it was a very hard thing for you to do, Mark. Weirdly hard. And I recognize the absurdity of saying it's hard to admit to yourself that you like one Muppet movie more than another Muppet movie. Yeah. (laughs) I realize that's an absurd statement, but I had to wrestle with myself, to be honest here. I am currently wrestling with myself after hearing you say this and even after we talked (laughs) about it. Because, like, you could look back on the conversation that we just had over the past insert time here that you cut this down to sure yep (laughs) and be like hey it seems like y'all were pretty negative about a lot of this movie i want to be perfectly clear that like this is me just trying to like any points that i'm bringing up is me practicing critical reflexivity and yeah absolutely me being like this is a bad movie because i love this movie mark um, yeah, I, this is... I think like you, I don't like saying I like this thing, so I'm going to ignore the problematic parts because I yeah. like it. I want to examine those things for sure. And like I like I think it's a testament that people can write a movie that has these things that are not overtly problematic by any means. Like there's nothing just like right, right, at least openly shitty, except for maybe the one line from Miss Piggy where she's like questioningly says sister to, to Miss right. Piggy, which is right. uncomfortable as hell. Maybe the trigger stuff with Jack Black, but it's at least being used in context. So like, yes. it's, yeah. yeah, so like it's even with those things in it and some of the problematic aspects of Mary just being what's the opposite of a Mary Sue, a Mary meh? Uh, like <laughs> she's there and she only is there to facilitate 
the journey of the male character understanding yep. that like it's so weird that they have a, a story about like how the main male character needs to respect his woman more and yet they wrote like a shell of a character for the, his woman <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm wrestling with this one mark because i know what the bottom half of my list looks like no problem sure yep but the top half of my list right now i'm having as close to a crisis of conscience that i think i have ever had on this show <laughs> in trying to decide where i put this what does it say about me as a human being if I put this movie where I want to put it? <laughs> because my take is spicier than yours. Um, shit. Like, if I'm looking at it just across the board, which one do I get more, like, of a genuine emotional response to? Which one do I want to sit down and watch just to watch? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just across the board. Which one gives me the laughs I want, gives me, like, the emotionality that I want, gives me these characters in the way that I want to see them? Yep. Especially in this current, like, day and age. From the bottom up, Mark, number five is Muppet Treasure Island. That movie can number walk six. the plank for all I care. Or number six now, you're correct. <laughs> number six, 100%. It can walk the plank all the way down a number. <laughs> number five is Muppets Take Manhattan. Number three is Muppets from Space. Number four? Or, or were you intentionally leaving a gap there? No, no, number four. I'm sorry. Um, I have my list unedited right now because I'm sitting here and staring mm -hmm. at it, and I'm trying to not give away what I'm going to do with this movie <laughs> to you because well, I know I don't you're have looking. The notes open. Okay, I good. closed it after I made my own entry, so I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> okay, good. In that case, Treasure Island number six, Muppets Take Manhattan number five, Muppets from Space number four, number three. I'm gonna put the Muppet movie. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And number two, I'm going to put The Muppets from 2011. Wow. And honestly, Mark, it's I'm splitting hairs about not putting it at number one at this point. Sure. I was wondering if you were going to, and a part of me really wanted it to happen. Because this is a real good movie. This is a very good movie. If you ask me on a different day. Yep. If you ask yep. me on a different day where we hadn't just broken down my issues with the movie, it maybe would have inched it out at number one so far. But right now, yep. it's sitting at number two, just barely splitting hairs below the Great Muppet Caper. And <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody who loves the Muppet movie, but like this is just, this feels right. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I see this movie as the second half of the Muppet movie. And I think, you know, it's trying to be that. So it makes sense to me that they'd be so close. Yeah, it's definitely like the spiritual successor to the Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. As, and very much our next movie is going to be a spiritual successor to The Great Muppet Caper. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting. It's it's also got some real big nods towards Muppets Take Manhattan, including the opening number. But we'll get there, I guess. When yep, we get there, it, what is our next does. movie? Funny you should ask. Next up, we're going to be talking about Muppets Most Wanted. The Third One Sucks is a retrograde orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at the Third One Sucks at gmail.com, where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the the number three RD One Sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives. And Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com.
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> There's oil, see? <laughs>